Hello everyone and welcome to another Scots Wahey podcast and today I am joined by writer Kirsten Innes. Hello Kirsten. Ooh. And we're going to talk about your latest novel um, Scabby Queen which is out now. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all can you tell us a little bit about Scabby Queen and for those who don't know where the title comes from? Ah yeah so the title is a card game um, I don't think it's exclusively Scottish, but it seems to be mostly Scottish people who are having a lot of memories um, relating to it. I think a few folk in the north of England are aware of it as well. And it's it's um, it's like you discard all the queens in the pack, apart from that it's usually the queen of clubs. And um, then the object of the game is to get rid of the queen of clubs um, and pass it on to your neighbour and pass it on and pass it on and not be the person left with the scabby queen at the end of the night. And uh, the person who does get left with the scabby queen gets a rap over the knuckles with the whole deck. So it's a wee bit of a violent game. I've um, forgotten all about it. And I could now, I had this real flashback to my geography class. It was that specific. And guy <laughs> up the back with bleeding knuckles because this cards had been, I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's right. So why, why did you choose that as a title? Um, it just seemed to, to fit the form of the book that I wanted to write, which was... Um, well, that, I mean, essentially, it's, it's, the, it's the story, the way I've been saying it is it's the story of the last five decades told by, um, told as one woman lived them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, kind of uh, as, um, but this character, Cleo Campbell, who's my central character, you never actually hear from her. Um, the, the story's told from a variety of, of, I think up to, I think I've got about 20 narrators mm-hmm. in there. I should really count. I should just be able to tell you how many I've got. Um, a variety of different voices um, of people who knew her from childhood to her death at 51. Um, and, uh, and, you know, sometimes across those years as well. Um, so, yes, it seemed, to, it seemed to fit the form that the Queen has always been passed on and passed around and we get different viewpoints of her um, all the way. So I mean, you mentioned there that we don't hear directly from Cleo herself and she dies very early on in the novel. That seems like a very brave thing to do. Were you always going to have that as the beginning? Yeah, yeah. Um, it always, um, it, just, it, it just always seemed to make sense to me that this is, this is what would happen. Um, I heard um, about a, a, a case in my wider circle of acquaintance where somebody took their own life and they left their body in their flat knowing presumably that the person who would find it would be their flatmate mm-hmm. and um I, I couldn't uh, that that kind of stuck with me in the, in the way that these we kind of I, I don't want to say nugget about something so personal but it, it just it became a little bit of grit in the yeah. book for me that that idea of somebody um that that final kind of act of selfishness um, and what sort of state you'd have to be in to get to that at the end of your life um, but I also um, I was also really interested in the idea of somebody who had really intense short-term relationships I don't just mean sexual relationships um, and then kind of blew them up and moved on to the next thing i would known a few people like that in, in my life and it just seemed to be a to tell the story from the points of view of all the people of that person along the way seemed to be an interesting way of approaching it. So, yeah. Were you ever going to have um, Cleo as one of the voices or was it always going to be these people? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, what, what's 
interesting for me, what, what has been interesting for me as I've been pulling this, as I pulled this together was the idea of um, somebody, how much you can know about somebody, how much, how much can a person be known without ever actually kind of being directly within them. I mean, it's mostly, it's mostly third person narrative, but yeah. third person through one narrator, each chapter, one distinct narrator, um, and never Cleo. And I wanted to keep her back a bit mm -hmm. from the from the readership. I wanted to, well, the, I say the audience because she was a she was a pop star um, and a sort of a minor celebrity, um, amongst other reasons, her notoriety. And um, yeah, so I, I thought that it would kind of mirror the relationship we have with people where uh, with with famous people or yeah. famous people where you don't know them but you, you feel like you relate to them but you never actually get inside their head you never actually have a, a clear idea of who that person was um so yeah that it just kind of came from that really she is a quite incredible character and really kind of multi-faceted and then i was starting to think that's probably because we're getting all these different versions of her from all yeah. these different characters it would be interesting for anyone i think to have so many different people kind of remembering them in that way. Mm. How did you come up with all the different characters? Did you, well, how did you do that? Before I, oh, just, um, it, I kind of, um, I wrote the, I've had a, another chat with, with Ali about this um, for, for a different publication and I was saying to you then, so I'm conscious of repeating myself to you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I wrote the book around, um, my uh, around two pregnancies and caring for a, a young child um and i finished it just before my second baby was born i really any tiny little nugget or idea i wanted to create had to become a character who would kind of ah. it, you see um but also i didn't have um i'm actually amazed the whole thing holds together um i just didn't have the time to pursue one gigantic you know one person's narrative as such um each chapter is about five or six thousand words which seemed to be the perfect amount to kind of write in the amounts of the little bits of time that i had um so it's all just kind of sewn together like a patchwork quilt at the end um oh no that actually that that makes it sound a bit more random than it was i was i was working away the whole time at cleo's life story i had so many charts about what she was doing at various points along the way um but all the things that would interest me um, that would usually possibly become ideas for other stories or I, I usually start with an idea of a voice, an idea of a narrator. Right. Um, anytime I just grab them and wove them in, try to work out how this person would know Cleo. Um, and, and, and it just sort of opened out that way. Um, because the, the stories are seamless and they come in and they go out and it's at different stages. And you were saying you didn't have perhaps as much time as you would have liked. Um, what did you have an intense editing process or like checking that, you know, the, this fits after that event or any of that stuff? Yes, I did. I did do a lot of that. I have yeah. um, I've used up entire A4 pads trying to work out the timelines and work out the way that things go around. And um, I did a lot of colour coding. I love a bit of colour coding. Right. <laughs> I'm mentoring kind of um, emergent writers at the moment, a couple of emergent novelists. And um, I always tell them, right, the first thing is to get off the, the laptop screen, get a gigantic, like an A1 or an A2 pad and a packet of felt tip pens and just see where it can take you. It, it looks like a, a serial killer's kind of 
or, or you know a, a case to capture serial killers kind of mind but yeah so I had, I had charts and things and I worked out which order everything needed to kind of go in um, but I kind of did that afterwards and I'd really been putting the process together along the way because obviously you get glimpses of um, other characters of some of the other narrators in other narrators stories and then there's also um, I've always liked the sort of story that reveals itself to you non-linearly and slowly and you have to go back and fill in the gaps so um, at one point Cleo has um, a kind of a disastrous one night stand and she's seems to be losing her mojo and she seems to be pretty down and you find out she's wearing cowboy boots she's she's wearing cowboy boots at the time and then a few chapters later it goes back to you know where she got those cowboy boots from and why that might have affected her mood at that point um and then I I tried to kind of build this together yeah I mean I've, I've been downplaying it because it really did come together very quickly but um it was kind of editing as I went there yeah. were a few there were a few characters that have been have been cut out either before I submitted the manuscript um yeah three of them got cut out before I submitted the manuscript and then another two in uh, post-production <laughs> and um I went working with my, my editor and my publisher um the, the novel takes on a lot of historical and political events they seem to kind of almost bookmark um how the novel unfolds was that always something that you wanted to do as well it was, it was one of those things that, it was always going to be um, a novel about politics. And I thought at first that my interest was going to be a lot more to do with, um, I, I was kind of thinking, I always wanted to write about working class women in Scottish politics. Right. And their places and, and working class women in the left and on the left and, and you know, their, their position generally. Um, I thought I was going to look at different, elements than I did. Um, it just seemed to fit that um, the, the, the poll tax riots are um, when uh, when Cleo gets her kind of 15 minutes of fame or her first 15 minutes of fame and she um, she has a one-hit wonder, um, a sort of a, a defiant kind of anti-poll tax song that makes it big. She gets onto top of the pops and, and that sort of thing. And um, I knew in order to make that kind of tell the story that I wanted to. She needed to be a young woman in the music industry at that time. Um, so working out the dates, um, I also worked out that possibly she would have been a kind of a teenager around about the minor strike. And so that started to feed in as well. Um, and then everything else just kind of fell in place from there. I was looking, kind of, I was having to think about how she would have reacted to various events along along the way. Um, you know, I, I kind of... The, the big kind of protests like the anti-Iraq war protest or make poverty history of the of the noughties and how those might have seemed to somebody who was, you know, um, who kind of grew up in solidarity, who who was kind of schooled in a much, a much more localised fight um, and, and maybe whose first experience or whose second big formative experience of, of, a, of a political fight was something like the poll tax that was actually positive, was a positive yeah. experience, how that would have impacted um, your idea of activism as it, as it went on and as maybe the causes that this person got involved with didn't have such positive outcomes necessarily. Um, the poll tax for me was a, was a big thing as well. Um, 
I'm, I'm 12 years younger than, than Cleo, but um, so I was, I was nine or 10 and I remember being taken on anti-poll tax demos and um, really kind of um, really being, um, yeah, the, it was the first time that I understood mm -hmm. um, that kind of, I mean, I didn't understand the complete intricacies of the poll tax, but I understood the, the impact the, the, the injustice um, and it really it made an impact on me so it made it made a bit of sense from that point of view to really start with 1990 um, and kind of take it from there and see see what she would have got involved in she got involved in everything did Cleo she was a she was up for a scrap which is so she but was. that's the thing it does seem to come from her character it's like so what would this character be angered by and be interested in rather than fitting her you know a character in around the events it's like no this makes complete sense that this is exactly what she would be um angered by or enthused by uh, or, or all of those things mm. i had i had chapters where she was taking on um one of the ones that got discarded early on was uh she was going to be uh, involved in a kind of thinly disguised egg uh, land reform taking on the ah. the the, yeah, the, the corrupt landlord, um, sort of working for the land reform movement and that sort of thing, but I just couldn't quite make it fit. Uh, that sort of hinted at that she's been involved in that sort of thing as well, but um, yeah. So was this going to be a bit, I say this because it's here and people can see it. Uh, <laughs> was this going to be a bigger book than it is? Because it's, you know, it's a good book to read. Yeah, it's, um, I think we cut about 20,000 words out. It was about, it was over, 150,000 words. Um, they tend to ask you not to go over, this is interesting actually, publishing, they prefer books to stay under 1,000, uh, sorry, 120,000 words because um, anything else, the German translation rights you lose because, um, oh. because in German, obviously, words are so much longer and, um, you know, and, and have to, you know, so the page count goes up and up. I hadn't realised that um, until my, you know, my agent and I were having a, a conversation about whether it was worth cutting a, a lot of the book <laughs> just for that. Um, but yeah, um, we, we, we cut, hmm. yeah, it was, it was over 150,000. I think it's just, it's about 140,000 now. So we cut about 20. 20 and is that a, a difficult thing to do or were you in the, the process that, no, the main thing is to get this book out now, so, yeah. Absolutely, I am. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not very precious um, about about my my writing. Um, I'm, I'm quite. I think I'm, I'd like to say I'm quite easy to edit. Maybe my, my editors would, would have a, <laughs> a different opinion. But um, yeah, I generally I can generally tell um, when somebody's making a good point, and if I can't argue why a bit needs to stay in, convincing myself, then I'd probably. They're probably right. When did you start um, writing the book? Because it does seem incredibly current. I mean, even on like a, you know, reading the news on a daily basis, there's stuff coming out, whether it's um, the uh, treatment and abuse of women in um, show business, for want of a better term, show business. And even today, the uh, Carolyn Flack um, news story that came out, it does, as I say, it seems very much off the now. Um, yeah, I started. I started writing in twenty. Mm, um, yeah, started writing in twenty fifteen. Um, but then it kind of. I, I did a wee bit of writing on it in twenty fifteen till about 
October because um, I worked full time up until March then had a baby um, so then there was there was kind of there was a bit of a gap so I didn't do anything at all during 2016 but 2016 I think is the most formative year for it um, because there was Brexit for a start the Brexit vote that really made me I kind of shut down. My, my partner found it quite frustrating because we've both always been very politically aware and politically active. And I had a new baby um, and I was just so oh, I, I repulsed at what had happened and yeah. what was happening. I, I came off Twitter. I, I stopped paying attention to the news or so it seemed. Um, but it was all feeding in. This was the way I was responding to it was kind of constructing a, a framework by which I could write a novel reacting to, to a lot of it and um, the other thing that happened in 2016 is all the that was the year of all the celebrity deaths it started with with Bowie oh, yeah. ended with Carrie Fisher and it was the Carrie Fisher one that really also impacted um on on Cleo that that's sort of when I decided to make Cleo a, a kind of a minor celebrity because I was kind of interested in the way that she'd been, uh, Carrie Fisher had been very, very, very visible throughout 2016 because the new Star Wars film had come out and her book had come out. She'd revealed she'd had an affair with um, with Harrison Ford. And then she died right at the end of it. And um, she'd been getting so much abuse. She'd been very anti-Trump and people had been tearing her down because she dared to be an older woman. She wasn't Princess Leia. She wasn't a skinny teenager anymore. And she had opinions and she was sometimes a bit manic on Twitter, the way she presented those opinions possibly, but you know, she was angry. She was an yeah. angry woman. Um, and she came in for so much abuse and then she died and it was like she'd been sainted. Um, nobody, nobody had ever said a bad word about her. Yeah. Um, and I was really, in, I just thought that really shows you, doesn't it? We just like to keep our female celebrities, even, you know, I was gonna say national treasure, but I mean kind of worldwide treasures, you know, and nice little boxes where they're either young and pretty or, you know, not angry, not <laughs> or dead. Um, so, yeah, yeah that, that, that kind of, that really played into the way that, because the, the book's intercut with a lot of media, media chat with you as well. Um, but the Me Too movement was 2017 and that yeah. definitely fed in too. Right. Um, so there's a couple of chapters in there that I was writing as that was all playing out and they just kind of became my, my response to it all, I think, so. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, that was a really long way round <laughs> answering your question. It, uh, it's interesting that you mention um, Carrie Fisher because there are, are, are any real life person. Do you think it's helpful for people to kind of speculate about who characters may be based on? Because I mean, I think you can't avoid it in some ways. Oh, in this one, yeah. yeah. Well, I was. I'm interested to to find it. I mean, I've been quite clear. There's a character called Gogsy Duke. Um, and a couple of reviews have said um, a thinly disguised Tommy Sheridan, um, and I'd actually tried to make him, you know, the, a wee bit, a wee bit different from that. Certainly, he's got that kind of um, uh, firebrand kind of working yeah. class star who takes, who comes to kind of prominence in the in the poll tax protests. Um, but I wanted to, I was kind of imagining what would happen to somebody like that if they became a Labour politician. Um, immediately before Tony Blair and um, kind of where, where that went in a, you know, because the, the book does kind of go all the way up to, actually goes up to 2020, but um, all the way up to 2018. So it takes in the, the, the referendum 
and everything as well. Um, so yeah, Gogsy Jake was only very thinly based on Tommy Sheridan. Right. And that, you know, I, I did, I did read, I've read a couple of books about the, the coal tax movements and the, the way that, you know, they were organised in Scotland, certainly. And obviously you can't ignore a figure like Tommy Sheridan there. Yeah. But I did try and kind of, um, he makes a one, a couple of, a, a wee line cameo, oh, a two line cameo just Tommy Sheridan, he kind of introduces Cleo at a full text rally when she's about to sing her big song. Because I wanted it to kind of, I wanted these people to sort of exist side by side. Nobody's a, a thinly drawn kind of version. Um, and a few people have said Eddie Reader for Cleo as well. Um, and while there was definitely um, one particular Eddie Reader influence, which is that I remember her when I was a really little girl going on top of the pops doing perfect. Yeah. Um, when she was in Fairground Attraction and she couldn't hide the fact that she thought this was ridiculous and she stopped miming and she just sat there laughing in front of the microphone and pulling funny faces and for me that was a bit of a oh, what are you doing kind of moment so you know that she's got red hair and she's Scottish and um, so Cleo uses her her time on top of the pops to, to protest the pop tax um, instead but um yeah, apart from that, there's not there's not that much similarity, but I was kind of aware of it. So again, Eddie Reader makes a one B line cameo in the book as well, just to say this is not Eddie Reader. Cleo was very, very much her own her own person. Carrie Fisher possibly played in most strongly, but yeah. Because you do get um Cleo's life almost from the very beginning, um, obviously to the end and kind of beyond, really. Um it, that's quite a big time span to to deal with. Was that a challenge in itself? You know, because sometimes people look, oh, here's a crazy, you know, a, a weekend or a year in the life off or whatever, but to do the full span is quite an undertaking. It is, but there's, there's lots of chunks missing, uh, partly deliberately and partly because I realised at some point, listen, you cannot know this whole woman's life. You can't include <laughs> You're already at, you know, 150,000 words. You need to stop. Um, I've got a dim idea of what she might have been doing at various points, but so, you know, in order to, to keep her on. Um, I mean, there's, yeah, mm, I, I don't know. To be honest, it didn't feel challenging writing this book. It was, it was an absolute joy. I love it so much. And it just kind of, it came kind of bursting out of me. Um, that my, my first novel felt like a slog towards the end, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I've done so much research for it and um, worried for years about whether I had the right to tell this story or um, whether I was a good enough writer to do it or, you know, when in huge crises. Um, this one just kind of, maybe I just didn't have the time to, to doubt myself that much. It, it just kind of came bubbling out. So, yeah, the... I didn't necessarily see it as a challenge. I didn't sit down with an idea and think, right, here's how I am going to, this is what I am going to do. It just all kind of came as I was writing and just seemed to kind of patchwork itself together like that. Did, in some ways, did you see it as almost, um, not an escape, that's the wrong word, but as you've got all the, the, the new um, uh, experiences with the, the kids and family and all that stuff, and was the book something that you could almost escape into yourself? Yeah. Yeah, very, very much so. It's, um, yeah, but, oh, just those, those little bits of time when somebody else had the baby and I, I was just there and able to write. I did a lot of, um, I live out in the, in the countryside and I did a lot just when my, my baby needed to be walked to sleep for his first year. So I spent just 
walked for miles and miles and miles with this baby in a sling, making notes on my phone, um, or or a little voice note if, if something came to me, and I was just kind of hardly seeing anybody except the odd dog walking or staring up at the sky or a loch or being in a wood, and um, yeah, and then my brain just kind of felt free to sort of go where it wanted to. I think so. Yeah, I had had a lot of notes on my phone to kind of work from when when I came to sort of coming back to, to writing. Um, but I am, I mean, it really did just all come out so very quickly compared to the last one. It's twice as long as the last one. Mm -hmm. Took me half the time and was written around, um, you know, a lot of a lot of giant things. But yeah, an escape, um, just a, a way of being political and being creative again, I think. Yeah. Um, this was this was it so my partner had been becoming a little bit frustrated with what he felt was my sort of complete disengagement I really felt like I had blinkers on and then he read the manuscript and he went oh, that's where you were um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it I do yeah and absolutely yeah. so how writing it did you kind of reflect on your own past and the people that you've shared it with in the way that they do with Cleo Hmm, a little bit. Um, yeah, there was there were a couple of chapters that I'd sort of played around with that ended up cut actually. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I was I was I was thinking there there were a few sort of times where I was thinking, right, um, you know, can I think of it instances in my past where you know something might have happened? There was, um, I mean, there there was a a girl I'd known when I was a teenager and um, she she died quite tragically and um, it was it was awful and we'd been very good friends and she'd stolen my boyfriend when we were when we were 15 um, and a lot of those feelings kind of played into it a little bit and then I thought no I think this is time to step back from that there, there was a character that seemed very much from that point of view and I thought no, I'm just gonna I'm gonna take that bit out but you know possibly that kind of came into into play a little bit when I was thinking about how I don't know the idea that you have of somebody when you're very young can be very different from the idea of who that person went on to be or ever was um but then that could be as true of people you meet at any point in your life to be honest yeah. um I really wanted to try and get a sense of each of these characters each of my narrators that has their own world has their own thing going on and um you know how that would impact on how they perceive this this person as well um at the various times that they meet her so it does say um, quite a bit about the notion of celebrity because you say cleo has a hit early on and she in some ways no she's not defined by it she refuses to let that define her but for other people she's still able to use that one hit, as you say, to um, help and influence her. I mean, she's still attending rallies later on, and really that's where her fame came from. What did you want to say about the kind of nature of fame or celebrity? I don't, I don't know that I necessarily set out to make a statement about fame or celebrity. It just seemed like this was an interesting... In fact, it, it seemed like using a celebrity character who had minor fame but could kind of leverage that in various ways if she wanted to, um, seemed like an interesting way to comment more on on the, the social issues that I was kind of looking 
that. Um, yeah, I mean, the way that a celebrity will automatically be able to command an audience, or you know, even even a very very minor one whose day has been and gone, there, there's still something about this idea of celebrity and noteworthiness that um, uh, you know you see quite early on. Um, the um, the editor of a newspaper that one of the characters works at has um, has received a tip off about her suicide, and from the police, and is kind of um, you know they see the sort of the muckraking nature of the press coming out. This sort of idea of is it in the public interest when the person has not really been a public figure for for a few years? That that kind of idea. That was a very roundabout, not making sense answer. So well, it, it, no, it does actually because um, you know you look at the media quite a lot. As you say, you've got. <laughs> Uh, excerpts from magazines and things like that and you, they kind of show the initial uh, reaction and then when she makes a, um, an album later on which is a kind of more traditional the reaction to that so it's not traditional because it's got other um, influences it's got a cross influence and then later after um, people are reflecting on her in the media it's as you say about Carrie Fisher it's much more generous than they were yeah. at the time it's yeah. a kind of rewriting of their own history of their own publications yeah yeah one one, one of the journalists um well, i suppose he's a character you only ever read his, his his work he doesn't have a voice but yeah one of the one of the journalist characters um kind of who has savaged her when she was when she was alive and daring to try something different um you know kind of after her death sort of says oh yes i i, I probably uh, you know, it's well worth a, a listen that album. I, I said it was disgusting nonsense at the time or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's that real get-out clause about it's worth um, re-visiting, uh, you know, that kind of absolute. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, the, the without giving anything away at all, but the, the final chapter uh, was so moving. I mean, it just, it kind of hit me straight between the eyes, I have to say. Did, were you always going to end that way um or did you have an ending in mind put it that way i i wrote that i don't write linearly <laughs> yeah as, as you might have guessed i wrote that chapter really really early on it was one of the first um yeah. it just came yeah i've got i'm not entirely sure where the voice came from but it just seemed to make sense once everything had fallen into place about um where where cleo um kind of came from and what might have been a big moment in her early years relating to the minor strikes um that whole chapter i wrote it in about an hour and a half two hours without even looking up i've changed very little about it apart from um yeah it, it was originally that chapter was originally written as a as a kind of conversation from the point of view of um I can't give too much away about that. that no, 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 no. And you shouldn't. <laughs> but no, I had I had that as an end point from very early on. So I always knew where the book was going to end. Um, there were certain there were certain other things that kind of happened towards the end that took me by surprise. Um, but again, I don't want to give too much away about. It. Um, but yeah, there were there were certain other twists and turns that happened towards the end of the book that I, I suddenly occurred to me. Oh. I might, I might do that, actually. I'll tell you when we're not recording. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I think, though, for, for people who read rather than write, that's always a surprise to hear that writers themselves are surprised at the twists and turns that come their way. I mean, how, how does that, practically, how does that work? You say, oh, I didn't know we would be, you know, meeting that person or walking down that street. Is that kind of how it's, what it's like? No, no not, not quite that. It's more just a kind of... Um, 
the way the jigsaw puzzle pieces fall into place and you suddenly realize, oh, of course she's done this. Um, of course, that's why she's done something. Of course, yeah. this is this, what's happened. Um, and then, yeah, and then you kind of go back and sort of check that everything makes sense from, from that point of view as well. And um, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that ending, I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite chuffed with. I didn't even make the connection. Um, it, uh, Ulysses was actually is, is a really famous, uh, favorite book of mine. Right. Um, but I haven't read it for quite a while. Um, I, I did a lot about it when I was a postgrad at uni, um, and I was going out with a boy who wrote, um, wrote his undergrad dissertation on it at university, and then he contacted me after he'd read it, and he went, Molly Bloom. <laughs> right. <laughs> of course it was. Um, so it's it's that kind of it's that kind of big difference in the end, and that's that's obviously where I got it from without without realizing. Without realizing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. So it should be the kind of run up to Edinburgh Book Festival at the moment. Clearly, it's not. Um. How have you had to adjust to you know having a book published at this odd time? Well, first of all, it was supposed to be published on April the 30th and yeah. um, put back, uh, all the warehouses were closed. Um, so my publisher didn't want to do it just as an ebook, first of all. So they, they kind of, they, they put it back to July the 23rd. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's, it's been interesting, hasn't it? Um, I mean, to be honest, I quite like the, the online opportunities that have yeah. come up. That's, that's been quite good. I also I got to have a very, very self-indulgent fake-out book launch on Twitter for the original launch date, where I just basically got drunk in front of Twitter with um, answered some questions, wore some lipstick. It was, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it, it's been interesting. I mean, for me as well, because this, this book is published by a much bigger publisher than, than my first. I mean, much bigger. Um, so in terms of the tension it's, it's been pretty strange and then um Nicola Sturgeon got got hold of a, a copy um and um after yeah and, and, and Nicola Sturgeon tweeted about it and then suddenly <laughs> I mean my goodness the Sturgeon effect was was strange and that's you know that this, this is all I don't that does that have anything to do with COVID I don't I don't know um would that have happened just just anyway um, it does feel frustrating in that I would like to, um, when I thought, when I planned this, when we were talking about this year, my partner and I, um, he was saying, well, what I'm going to do, because his work usually, he, he usually tours, he usually performs. Yeah. Um, and so he was saying, well, this year I'm not going to do that and you're going to do that. So, you know, you can get your, your tours of um, festivals in. And um, yeah, I was imagining doing bookshop events up and down the country. Um I do always think that you need to be, I, I, when I was a journalist, I interviewed A.L. Kennedy and she said what she does is she just never stops touring because you have to put, physically put the book into your reader's hands, basically, to get it out there and, and maintain a readership. So I do worry a wee bit about that, but um, yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's just odd times, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, so, so who knows? I mean, I've never had the First Minister tweet about my book before, you know, the week before it came out and suddenly zoom up the Amazon charts. I've never had, I've never had a book out on a big publisher before, so I'm not sure what is different and isn't. Yeah. I'll, I'll be yeah you can, I guess you can only just take how it is. Yeah, yeah. I am sad that I'm not getting to do this one at the Edinburgh yeah. Book Festival. I mean, I'll be doing it as part of the Edinburgh Book Festival from right this spot, this yeah. spot. 
but um I, I don't know I, I just I, I love the the Edinburgh book festival because I grew up in Edinburgh um and when I was a wee girl um actually uh yeah uh, P.D. James was opening it and she pulled me out of the crowd to help her cut the ribbon of, of either the first or the second one you need to ask my mum but um, yeah that's that's like a big a big story so for me anything to do with the Edinburgh Book Festival has, it was always just this magical place for me as a kid um so I'm sad that I won't get to be there yeah. I just remembered there's a scene in the book at the Edinburgh Book Festival isn't there Yes, yeah, there is. I was really hoping to read that scene at the Edinburgh Book Festival. Um, yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, that was that was one I wrote quite late on as well. <laughs> and um, as you say, it's been out for a, a, a week now, a bit more, two weeks. Yeah, yeah, two weeks, two weeks today. Yeah. And um, are you? I mean, I, as far as I can tell, it's been very well received and rightly so. Are you happy with how people are reacting to it? Do you think people get it? Yes. Yeah, it's it's been it's been wonderful actually. Every, it, I mean, it's it's been bad because I'm having to be back on Twitter a bit more to kind of keep promoting it. I don't really like being on Twitter. And but, it's changed um, a lot. If you've been off it for that amount of time, I think it's changed a lot. Yeah. It's not the. Anyway. I, I have I had it blocked apart from between nine and ten at night, but um, yeah, now I'm back on and oh. um, but apart from that. Um, and my obsessive need to search Scabby Queen on Twitter every half an hour or something. There's always just, there's just so many people saying lovely things about it, which is, which is wonderful. Um, and people are reacting to it so thoughtfully and um, emotionally. And the, the main thing that's, that's coming back, if I can toot my own trumpet for a wee bit, is that people say that the characters feel real. Yeah. And that's, that's the most important thing for me because much as we talk about Cleo, it's, it's the supporting characters, the, the narrative voice characters, the point of view characters that were, that kind of, that my sort of emotions and reactions, uh, that I'm kind of emotionally involved with. Cleo always remained quite unknowable to me as well, whereas some of the, some of the point of view characters are very, very dear to me indeed. So it's, it's nice to find people loving them and, and reacting to them. You know. And they really do stand out. I, you know, each one, as you say, is absolutely believable, has their own voice. That's kind of why I asked how you came up with them at the beginning, because it does seem to you've, you've almost written a little backstory, a little, you know, you know these characters very, very well. Yeah. Um, well, everything, it just, um, it, yeah, I, I, I've said this before, but I just... Um, I feel the need to, a character's always got to feel 3D to me. Yes, sure. Um, as, as I'm writing them, I'm, I'm not, it's weird because Muriel Spark is one of my foremost influences um, on, on my writing. But what she does, her, her characters are almost always ciphers. They're always, you know, you know she's, she always points out to you that they're characters and she has written them and she will move them around her chessboard as she sees fit. Um, whereas, yeah, for me, I, I need even the the sort of the more negative characters, antagonists, or, or whatever, mm. particularly them, to feel like three D rounded people. So I, I've got to kind of go round each of them and you know sound them out and check that they do really feel real. Um, but no, that that means a lot to me that that people are are, are reacting that way to my characters because yeah, much as much as the book is about you know takes in all these great big political events and it is definitely a political book I don't think I can argue my way out of that one yeah. but um they um 
the, the, the important thing for me, what, what it's ultimately about is just those little moments between people and, and what you find out about somebody in those moments and what a person, how, you know, how people relate to each other or don't relate to each other. Um, yeah, because I, I, I kind of feel like all, um, when all, all kind of politics, all sort of political struggles and injustices and, and that kind of thing, it all comes down to empathy or a failure of empathy yeah, at, yeah. at some level. So, yeah, and that, that's, that's what I was kind of hoping to do, I guess. <laughs> Well, Kirsten, I think that's the perfect place to finish. Thank you so much for chatting to me today. I think it's a fantastic book, by the way. Really fabulous. I was blown away by it when I read it. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me. And uh, we'll be back soon with someone completely different. Cheers. Cheers.